It's great to be here today. I'm grateful, uh, both first hour and second hour, to see our crowd uh, back uh, after a couple of tough weeks. In fact, by the way, it was just it was just great to be able to uh, just uh, not have to shovel snow uh, before coming to church today. And I'm I'm glad that you all are here. The past few weeks, and and we're going to spend just a, a few moments here at the beginning of our message to review what we've talked about the last couple weeks because, uh, honestly, a number of you weren't able to be here with the weather. And uh, we want to make sure we catch you up as we roll into another message series. But the past few weeks, we've been examining together some important themes that we learned from the earliest Jesus followers as they lived out their faith after the resurrection of Jesus and when the church first began. We talked about in this series of messages that, that truly this was an unstoppable plan from God. As we see the church being unstoppable as they spread the good news of Jesus throughout their world. And the good news is that we can be a part of that today in the 21st century as we take to heart their message and as we live it out in our lives. We started this year with an emphasis on this as we wanted to make sure that we embrace the spirit of the adventure that we see in the early church. As a church, we want to learn from these early Christians. We want to restore that same spirit, that same attitude, that same commitment that they had toward Jesus and toward each other. We get a glimpse of their commitment as we read from the beginning of the church at the very infancy of the church. After 3,000 are baptized, the church begins in Acts 2. And in verse 46, we read, they worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What do you see as we read that passage? What I see is this tight-knit closeness of the early Christians, the type of closeness that's not just developed in the large gathering times. Yes, they had those times. They met in the temple courts. But I believe this closeness is really cultivated and developed through meeting in homes, as we read about, that they met from home to home, uh, praising God and sharing with each other. That's why we here at Southwest emphasize over and over again the importance of being a part of a small group, because I really believe that in the small group setting that we can experience a relational environment where we can take the themes that we talk about on the weekends in the larger group setting and apply it to our lives in a practical way, that we can encourage each other, we can speak into each other's lives so that we can truly live out what it means to be followers of Jesus. That's why we emphasize over and over again here at Southwest the importance of connecting to a small group. In the bulletin today, you'll see a listing in that colored uh, sheet that's, I don't know what color that is, but I have trouble with colors, but whatever that color is, you'll see it, you'll pull it out, and it's, it's got a list 
listing of small groups that are being offered. You can also pick up a flyer in the lobby that tells a little bit more about that small group and the contact info. And uh, we want to encourage you to find one that you can be a part of. In fact, to encourage that, once a quarter, we have what we call Connection Lunch. We were going to have it last week, but uh, with the weather, we postponed it to this week. It's an opportunity to come. It's an opportunity to get a free meal. That's always good. But it's also an opportunity to start putting faces with some of the names that maybe you see on that list. And we want to encourage you to consider sticking around after this service and enjoy that connection lunch. Now, as we kept reading through the book of Acts, we saw that the good news of Jesus spread throughout uh, from Jerusalem, where the church began, throughout the known world of that time, including Asia, Africa, and Europe. The last two weeks, we read about an early Christian leader named the Apostle Paul, who took missionary journeys to continue to spread this good news throughout that world. On one occasion, Paul met with some church leaders in Ephesus, this small this city in what's modern-day Turkey, and he shared with them a sense of urgency to keep sharing that message with more and more people. He said to them in Acts 20, verse 22, but there's another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. If you skip on down, it says, what matters most to me is to finish what God started, the job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone know, I meet, know all about this incredible extravagant generosity of God. You see, Paul's urgency to share God's grace with others eventually led him to the capital of the empire, which was in Rome, Italy. We read about that last week, and we talked about how that he had a shipwreck on the way to Rome. And by the way, just if you weren't here the last couple weeks, we want to urge you, encourage you to go back and look Listen to those messages. Uh, Any week that you're not able to physically be here, maybe you're out of town or whatever, you can keep up with what's going on in the life of the church by going to our website and listening to the messages from the previous weeks. This week, we want to look at one of the themes that you see over and over again in the book of Acts. It's the practice of generosity. In fact, this, this practice of generosity is actually, was actually mentioned in both of those Bible passages that I read from the book of Acts. So today, in the next two weeks, we want to develop this theme of generosity as we talk about the generosity game. Now, we want to have some fun as we talk about the joy of becoming more generous Uh, in our lives and generous with others, with our talents, with our time, with our treasure. And that's kind of of an overview of what we'll be talking about through these three weeks. And one way that we're going to do that is, is through next weekend's food drive to help support a local mission partner, Franklin Food Pantry. Now, to keep it fun, we're going to make a game out of this. And so we're inviting you to bring non-perishable food items next week and stack them in front of the Super Bowl, uh, the team's flag uh, in the Super Bowl that you're cheering for. 
Now, last year, we selected two different mission partners, and we had one mission partner in front of one flag, and we had one mission partner in front of another, uh, tables where we could collect items. And, um, and the mistake was, I think I let it be known too much how I didn't, well, I wasn't excited last year. I'm not excited this year about the New England Patriots being in Super Bowl, okay? Now, if you're a Patriot fan, forgive me, but I just, uh, I, 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 I'm a Colts fan, and you just don't cheer for the Patriots. And, uh, and so last year, we, 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 you know, revved this up, and the truth was that the, the charity, the mission partner with the Patriots and the Patriots, they just didn't get much stuff, okay? And so this year, we're just going to have one mission partner, but we'll still have a competition, okay? It's all going to go to Franklin Food Pantry, but you can decide, you can vote for which team uh, you're cheering for. Be generous and let it be known who you're supporting. And all I'm going to say is, go Rams. By the way, I've never been a Rams fan, but after last weekend's games, I immediately became a Rams fan. I don't know why. But as we explore generosity this morning, we want to begin with the players involved. Now, the last few weeks, we mentioned an important player in the book of Acts, this guy named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And last week, when we concluded this series, we found Paul arriving in Rome and even preaching there. Now, prior to him arriving in Rome, he had actually sent a letter to some Christians that were there in Rome. And uh, a book of the Bible is called Romans. That's the book that he wrote to these Christians in Rome. And by the way, maybe you've not yet figured that out, or maybe you kind of knew the Bible. But the truth of it is that these different books of the Bible that are these names that sometimes we have trouble pronouncing are either names of individuals or names of churches that that the apostles wrote letters to to uh, encourage them about their faith, but also to talk to them about what it meant to live out their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see that with for example, the book of Romans. Now, Romans is kind of typical of a lot of letters in the New Testament. There's the first part of the letter, the first part of the book will be more of what is the basis of our faith. It it describes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It describes who God is, what it means to be in relationship with Him. And, And in some ways, if you want to just kind of keep it simple, the first part of most of these books are more the theology, the, the basis for why we believe. And then the last part of the book will be more the practical application. We see that with Romans. The first 11 chapters are, and I love Romans because, because Paul really develops this, this beautiful picture of Christian theology. And then in chapter 12, he gets in from 12 to 16, it's more the practical application. And so we're going to pick up at the very end of that, that meaty, faith-based portion of the book in Romans chapter 11, and we're going to learn, if you're taking notes, that generosity begins with God. Generosity begins with God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes God in Romans 11 verse 33. He says, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant 
generosity of God. This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. And the Message Bible uh, reading reads with yes, yes, yes. You see, passages like this remind us that although we like to talk about God, we sing about God as a church, and we try to comprehend the greatness of God, the truth of it is we really don't understand how great God is. I think with our human minds, we just wrestle, we struggle to comprehend this infinite God that we worship. And, and, and I think it's important for us to try, but, but then we also have to humbly admit, wow, we just, we still fall short of understanding how good and how awesome and how great God is. I like how Paul describes him here and how, how the Message Bible read. He, he describes him as God's extravagant generosity. I love that. I like what N.T. Wright, an author that I read quite often, had to say about this passage when he wrote, nobody is ever in the position of giving God a gift which demands repayment while they sit back smugly, knowing they are in the right and waiting for God to get his act together. Everything we do traces itself back into his presence as the sovereign one, one before whom all human work and activity is at the best just simply loving service. Yes, as we tackle this subject of generosity, we have to wrestle with first that generosity begins with God. Have you ever tried to just take some time in solitude and just try to take in how good God has been to you, how generous he has been to you? Maybe get out a piece of paper and just start listing the ways that God has blessed your life. Things that he has given to you that are truly a gift from him. Maybe listing the special people that are in your life. Maybe listing the blessings, the, the opportunities, the lessons that you've learned even through the rough times. The physical, emotional, and spiritual strength and health that maybe you've experienced or maybe you're on the verge of experience? Have you just ever taken the time to maybe spend the time in prayer where you don't ask for anything? You don't pray for anyone. You just thank God for how good he's been to you. I think that's good for us. It's good for our hearts to just soak in and remember God is a good God and every good thing in our life comes from Him. Now, for those of you who say, well, but I've worked hard for what I have and what I enjoy, but yet think about that. Even the abilities, the talents, 
your physical health, your mental capacity, all that comes from God. And the talents that you have, those gifts that you've used, they come from God. Think about it. Now, if you feel like it's hard for you to just get in touch with how much you've been blessed, you know, sometimes I think we can lose sight of that. And and if you're wrestling with that, then I want to urge you as you leave today, stop by our mission table out here in the lobby where it's got listed four different mission trips that we're planning this year for people from Southwest. Because I tell you what, I've learned in my life if you want to grow in your gratitude, if you want to grow in, in just being in touch with how much we have been given, especially those of us that live in the United States, go on a mission trip to some inner city. Go on a mission trip to Appalachia. Go, go on a mission trip to Haiti or El Salvador, and you will be awoken to how much God has given to you. First time that my wife and I went to Haiti, I mean, we were just humbled. We came back and we said, wow, we have so much. And we've spent a week with people that have so little. And yet the amazing thing, the challenging thing, they seem to be so grateful for the little they have. And sometimes we take for granted all that we've been given. Let's be a people that are grateful for God's generosity that's been poured into our life. That's where generosity begins. It begins with God. And that brings us to our second observation, if you're taking notes, that generosity demands a response. God's generosity in our life demands a response from us to Him, and I believe to others. Following that passage we just read in Romans 11 that some describe as a doxology, we read the very next verse. You know, sometimes we get tripped up because these chapter breaks and verse breaks, verses breaks in the Bible, they weren't there in the original manuscripts. And so chapter 12, verse 1 flows right out of what Paul has just finished talking about, the generosity of God. And he says in verse 1, therefore, because of the generosity of God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, in view of God's mercy, in in view of God's grace, in view of God's extravagant generosity, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people, when they would worship God and worship, they would bring animal sacrifices to God and put it on an altar. Now, that's foreign to us, but that was their practice. That was part of their worship. But in Jesus Christ, and for those of us that are following Him, living after His death, burial, and resurrection, we're not called to bring animal sacrifices. I'm grateful for that. But what we're told here is that we're called in our worship to bring our self, our bodies, our whole being, and to to present that to God as an offering to Him, as a living sacrifice to serve Him. I really like 
how the Message Bible reads in this same verse that we just read in the next one. In Romans 12, verse 1, I think, I think we get a glimpse of what real Christian worship is here when we read this passage. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You see, I love this reminder to all of us that Christian worship isn't simply what we do on Sunday mornings from 11 till 12 o'clock or a little after 12, but it's what we do 24 hours a day. You see, when we go to work or school on Monday morning, we need to view our attitude and our interactions with others as part of our worship of God. When we go to the ball game or a musical or a concert, we need to think about the way we act and how we interact with others, even the referees, and realize that's part of our worship of God. When we go out to dinner with our spouse or spend a special time on a date night, realize that's part of our worship of God. If we spend time with our family for a fun night, a game night, whatever, that's part of our worship of God. And this passage clearly points out that when we're determined not to simply conform to the attitudes around us, the conversations, the words being used, the behaviors of those around us, that that is truly a worship of God. It's a way to honor God. It's a way to bring attention to Him. How would you be different this week if you left here today just a little afternoon and resolved that that wasn't the end of your worship? That was simply the beginning, the catapult for you to worship God the rest of this week. You see, I think we need to begin to view these times as important as they are as more like pep rallies to prepare our hearts for living our lives as living sacrifices to God to worship Him throughout the week of how we live. See, it's so important that we approach our week that way. This past week, I had a wonderful opportunity, kind of a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I seized it. I had an old friend from Indianapolis who who now lives in Westchester. He's an Ohio State fan. And he called me in the early part of the week, and, he's, he, and I, I didn't even have his phone number saved. And because of that, I thought it was one of those robocalls, so I didn't answer it. And then he left a message, and I listened to it. And he said, hey, this is Jim. I want you to know I've got an extra ticket to the Purdue-Ohio State game on Wednesday night, and I'd like to give it to you. Well, I immediately called him back, okay? 
As a Purdue graduate, I immediately called him back and I said, I've got two questions. I said, how much does a ticket cost? And he said, it's free. I want to do this as a gift to you. I said, thank you. And I said, the second question is, can I wear my Purdue sweatshirt? He said, I didn't expect anything different. So here I am, there next to Jesse Owen's statue, okay, uh, wearing my Purdue colors in the middle of Buckeye land. And, you know, by the way, I was impressed with Ohio State fans. They were very kind and, and smiling toward me. And after the game, you know, I, I clapped and cheered. And, and after the game, uh, uh, before we drove back to Springboro, I, I said, hey, I need to take a pit stop. And I went in the restroom. And, and, and while I'm wearing my Purdue colors, and, and, and I have to be honest, a, a, a real treat for me was I overheard someone say, well, at least we didn't get beat as bad in basketball as we did football by him. And I was like, oh, yes. Somebody, somebody after first service said, I've heard of sore losers. You're a sore winner. So, and I'm, I'm sorry. And if you're a Patriots fan, if you're an Ohio State fan, I hope you'll come back after this weekend. Okay. But, but I'm just being real, being honest about my loyalty and, and my, uh, my fan fanaticism sometimes with supporting my team. But after that, that good moment, then I had a bad moment. Okay, here's the bad moment. I walk out of the, the restroom, and, and, and my friend had given me an umbrella because it was raining as we walked in, and I went, oh, where's that umbrella? I've misplaced it. And so I thought, I can't, you know, he gave me a free ticket. I can't lose his umbrella. So I went back in the restroom, and I'm looking around. That's kind of awkward, but I, I'm looking around for my umbrella, and, and finally I'm kind of desperate, and I said, has anybody seen an umbrella? And about that time, a guy said, dude, it's in your back pocket. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not really doing that well for the Purdue Colors right now, okay? I'm not a good representative. As I thought about that, I thought, When we go through our week, we're representing those of us that are followers of Jesus. We're representing Jesus. And we're wearing his colors. And the question is, how are we representing him? When people see the way we act at work, when people see the way we act at school, the way we talk, the way we interact, do they see somebody just fits in with everyone else? Or do they see someone that's living to a different drummer and someone that's bringing honor and worship and bringing their worship to God seven days a week, 24 hours a day? One commentator described this Bible passage we just read as a reminder that God's grace demands a transformed life. Another author noted that the true worship which God desires embraces the whole of the Christian's life from day to day. I want to urge you as I recommit myself. Let's make sure that every day of the week we're bringing our worship to God and that we're living out what it means to worship a generous God. Well, with that as our backdrop, let's look at what our response to God's generous grace, God's generous 
generosity in our life. As we continue to read in Romans 12, we're going to see three very practical ways that we need to put this message into practice. The first, if you're taking notes, is to evaluate. To evaluate what God has given you. And to ask yourself, am I, am I utilizing that in service to God? In Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, our response to God's generosity begins with a sober estimation of what God has given to us. What talents, what abilities has God given to us as our at our disposal, and how can we in turn surrender those gifts to God for His service, for His glory? In another letter, the Apostle Paul writes and describes these talents and abilities as gifts of the Spirit. Here he describes these talents and abilities as gifts of God's grace or gifts of God's generosity. Now, when you saw a message entitled Generosity, some of you probably thought we were going to just talk about stuff and finances. Now, don't get me wrong. That's part of being generous. And we'll talk about that in this series, but that's not our focus today. The only thing I want to say about finances today is that to cap off this series, we've, we've set aside February 10th the end of this series, as, as, a, as a week we're going to describe as Tithe Sunday. And what we want to encourage you to consider on that Sunday is to consider doing something the Bible talks about, and that's giving a tithe back to God. We encourage people to do that here at Southwest. My wife and I tithe of our income back to the Lord. And yet I know that for some of you are kind of new to faith, you're kind of new to this Christianity thing, and maybe you've not ever taken that step or considered that, but I want to encourage you to consider. Now, we're not asking you to make a commitment during this series to tithe every week. We're just saying, what would happen if on February 10th as a church, we just all said, on that Sunday, we'll tithe? I wonder what kind of potential we'll see that we have as a church if we'd really lean into this, this idea of generosity. But we've We've also all been given gifts of God's grace, various talents and abilities that we can in turn utilize to be a blessing to others and to honor God. I think it's interesting that many of us tend to view our God-given abilities and talents as a means to provide for ourselves and for our families. Now, I, I understand that's part of how we need to leverage those talents and abilities. And yet, the, this Bible passage reminds us that those gifts are given not just for us individually and for ourselves, but they're given to us so that we can generally utilize, uh, generously utilize them in the life of the church to honor God and to build up others. You know, every weekend I look out on the crowd that gathers at Southwest, and I'm, I'm just impressed with how much talent and how much ability. When I talk to some of you and find out what some of you do in your work and your, your careers, I'm just blown away with the talent and the ability that's here. And my question is, are we leveraging that 
to honor God? And are we leveraging those talents that we use five days a week? Are we saying, how can I also leverage that in the life of the church to make a difference, to build others up? Now, we've got examples of people who do that, and I'm grateful for that. But I think we're just starting to get, we're just touching the tip of the, 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 the iceberg, if you will, of how much how many gifts and abilities are out there. And encourage everyone to, to, to really do some sober evaluation of what gifts you have. We want to invite you this week to go to our website. Yesterday, we put on our website a spiritual gift test. If you go to the banner and you click, you click on that, that logo, it'll take you to a spiritual gift inventory where you can answer some questions and see what gifts you might have that you could utilize to serve in the life of the church. I encourage you, why don't you do that? Maybe even today before you forget it. Now, there are two sides of this idea of sober judgment. One side is that for some of us, we might not have a correct personal assessment of ourselves. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was so inspired by those that would lead worship and lead times of music that I wanted to be a worship leader. So I went out and, and I got a, a little pitch pipe and I wanted to work on notes and make sure I was hitting all the notes. And I finally talked someone uh, that was leading in a church to let me lead one week and it didn't go well. I forgot that I was tone deaf. That church no longer exists. So, you know, there's so, you know, you need to have a sober estimation. Do I really have a gift to build up this church? Maybe, maybe you don't have that gift. Maybe you want it, but you don't have it. But what gift do you have? Now, the other side of sober judgment is false modesty, where, where you're sitting on all kinds of talent and ability that could really make a difference in the life of the church, but, but you're kind of doing what Jesus said not to do, and that's you're hiding that talent under a bushel. Let's make sure that we all have sober judgment of what we can bring to the table. And let's be generous to serve others with those gifts and abilities. As we keep reading, we see the call not only to evaluate, but also to cooperate, to cooperate with others. In Romans 12, verse 4, he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. At Southwest, we have a covenant card that we ask people who want to become a member here at Southwest to sign. And one of the commitments that we ask people to make is this commitment. I will serve the ministry of our church by discovering my gifts and talents, allowing God to use leaders and teachers to equip me for service, and to minister with a servant's heart. You see, it's, it's not just evaluating and discovering those gifts, but it's being willing to cooperate with others. You know, if you've got musical ability, if you've got ability to sing, that's great. We want to we keep surfacing more and more of those talents. But that doesn't mean next week that you'll be leading a solo on stage. There's an audition process. There's a way that you have, it's important to cooperate with others. The final observation of our response is to activate. Not only do we need to evaluate what gifts, what abilities do I have that I can serve, we need to cooperate with others, but we need to activate. 
Paul goes on to write, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is Paul saying? He says, if you've got a gift, if you've got ability, then put it into practice. Look for ways to activate it. Look for ways to honor God with that gift in the life of the church. Are you willing to evaluate, cooperate with others, and activate your gift? I hope you will. Everyone here has a gift or ability from God that you can use to make a difference in the life of the church and the life of others that will bring honor to God. As we wrap up our time together before communion, Let's circle back to how this passage began. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pure worship. What's the motivation for us to look at our lives, evaluate, look for gifts, abilities, look for ways we can serve. Our motivation all comes from how God has given so much generously to us in view of God's mercy, in view of God's generosity. That's what drives us. That's why we as a church every weekend have a time where we observe communion. Because it helps us as individuals and helps us as a church be centered in why we're living out our lives in faith. It's because of what God has given for us. We're going to pass some trays, and we take a piece of bread that reminds us of the body of Christ. We'll take a cup that reminds us of the blood of Christ. But I want you to think about, while you take communion this week, the generosity of God. I was thinking about that, preparing for this weekend, and I thought, You know, I'm a dad. I'm a granddad. And when the Bible says that God so loved us that he gave his son, that blows me away. Here's the truth. I love love this church. I love the people in this church. I love you. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. But even though I love you, I... I, I don't think I would sacrifice one of my kids or grandkids for you. I'm just being honest. I'm not there yet. Maybe I'll never get there. But God loves us so much, he gave his son. Now that's generous. Let's soak up that generosity during this time of communion. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for what a good God you are, what a generous God you are. Help us reflect on that during this time of communion. Help us evaluate our own generosity and help us be inspired by yours to grow in this area. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.